0: The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Diplosport podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. I hate the Boston Red Sox, and typically that means that I hate everybody associated with the franchise and everybody that puts on the uniform. Now, fortunately, I haven't had to meet many of these guys in person, and unfortunately, when I do, I almost always find out that they're wonderful human beings. Uh, That was certainly the case earlier this year when I had the opportunity to meet Jed Lowry, who is now with the Oakland A's but came up with the Sox in 2008, when he certainly wasn't one of my favorite players at that point. But after sitting with him for about an hour where he couldn't have been more gracious and couldn't have been more intelligent talking about his experiences as a big league ball player, as a State Department sports envoy. And then get this, he has a special place in my heart because he is an alumni of the Foreign Service Spouses Club, having been married to a for- now former Foreign Service officer himself, a wonderful woman named Melissa, who he accompanied through a couple of tours when he, he was playing ball and she was serving overseas representing the country abroad. Jed was a wonderful conversation. We touched on a whole bunch of things. There's some great inside baseball stuff here, but then there's a lot of big picture stuff, and Jed's also a leader in the Baseball Players Association, so we even talk about union issues and and just the the role of sports in government. Great conversation, great guy. And now I'm going to turn things over to my discussion with Jed Lowry. Uh,
1: Jed Lowry. Currently I play for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, second base this year.
0: Was that a tough transition? Historically, you've also you played all around the infield. Uh, what's it like getting ready to, to play a different position full time?
1: Yeah, so I played the majority of my career um, at shortstop. Um, played a fair amount at third base, and. Uh, a little bit at second base so it it's been it's been a little of an adjustment i played second base in college but the the speed of the game at the major league level is not like anything um you know that you, you would see uh in college obviously major league baseball is is as fast as the game will get um so you know there's it's it's still uh a little bit of a work in progress the footwork is different the reads are different off the bat um but you know i, I still feel comfortable uh for the most part
0: yeah, when you got traded, mm-hmm. was it December,
1: uh, Ye- this, uh, November, November? Yeah, November.
0: And you knew you were coming over here. Yeah. Um, do you start working on on that right away? Well, I wasn't. Uh, the, I don't think they were sure yet when I when I
1: talked to them. So um, I, I did my normal off season routine, and then when I got to spring training, uh, that's when we started focusing more on second base.
0: And another thing, I read a really interesting article about you. Okay. Uh When you're batting lefty uh-huh. uh, against the shift, okay. that's something you've been focusing on uh-huh. uh, early on in the season. Okay. And, and you found a lot of success on uh, on going the other way okay. with the ball, uh, at least in the early going. Yeah. How. At this level, mm. do you change your approach after, you know, obviously your entire life you've been so successful on the baseball field. Mm-hmm. How, how do you come into a season and say, hey, I want to tweak this and, and work on, on something like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's this game is a, is a game of constant adjustment. So you... You have to adjust to, to the way that guys are pitching you, uh, that the way the defenses are playing you, and you know 2000, 2004, The beginning, like really like about three quarters of the year for two thousand fourteen. Um, I, I really struggled with it with uh, fighting the shift. And there's a, a new stat with batting average of balls in play. And um, uh, up until like that last month, month and a half of the season in two thousand fourteen. Um, you know, I, my batting average of balls played play just wasn't – it wasn't even up to my career um, numbers, uh, let alone the league average. And, uh, and then it, it kind of carried over into 2015. I think I had a really, really low – um, batting average of balls in play, which um, you know you can you can look at it as a, as a couple of different things. Like you're having either having really bad luck, or they're playing you in the spots that they should be playing you. And, and so you know after two years really of kind of fighting it, I. I told myself, you know, hey, let's, you know, let's take what, what they, what they give you. And so in, in those terms, um, you know, when, when they, oh, when they shift you as far as the shifts have gone, um, you know, you have
0: to, you have to work on hitting the ball the other way. When you say batting average of balls in play, I go back to looking at the backs of baseball cards when I was growing up. Sure. You're a little bit younger than I am. <laughs> but I, I'm, we grew up, for all intents and purposes, the same generation yeah. where it was you know, um, home runs, RVIs, batting average. Mm. You play for the Oakland A's, so mm. anybody that's seen Moneyball knows that uh, it, this, this organization, your current general manager, was one of the forerunners uh, of moving towards more of a statistical-based approach right uh one that's been adopted since it's been adopted by the rest of the clubs um how cognizant or when did you become cognizant of uh, of playing the odds when you were in the field and using statistics as a way to enhance your approach uh
1: you know i it's one of those things that you don't you don't think about necessarily when you're in the box um you, you know you you prat like I, I. I'm. It's not like I'm. It's not like I'm in the box thinking. You know, hey, I. You know, I've been practicing this all year, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna beat the shift right now. You know, you're looking for a pitch that you can handle, and if you. You know, if like if I've been practicing hitting the ball the other way to beat the shift when I get that pitch, then you know you're you're prepared to do that in the game. Um. So I I look at I look at it more as like a um a trailing statistic. Uh, you know, I've, I've always believed in, in baseball that, um, you know, as a player, I define my numbers and my numbers don't define me. And so, uh, you know, you can, you can use certain numbers, certain indicators to predict, but, um, all of, all of what you see statistically is what's happened in the past. So you, you use that to, you know, to try to make adjustments moving forward.
0: You're setting me up really well here. There, there. One of the the reasons why I'm sitting here right now is to talk about the values of the game. Yeah. One, how they've impacted you as a man, as an American citizen, as yeah. a father and a husband, uh, and then two, how those games transcend just what happens between the, the lines in in Oakland or yeah. in the Bronx or in San Pedro de Macoris in the Dominican Republic. Yeah. Uh, one of the first values that I heard you talk about was uh, calling it it, this a game of adjustments right? and adapting Uh, you also mentioned that you got traded in November right um how has how has being flexible helped you improve as as first a ball player and then second as as a human being yeah no I I mean I think that's and maybe part of the, talk a little, a little bit just about like what what it's like you know for a normal guy you you don't get a call on November fifteenth saying that you have to move from Houston to Oakland yeah. and you know that's that right so. yeah yeah I mean you
1: um, you are a commodity um, as a as a baseball player and so you know if. Uh, if the, your current club decides that, you know, you, you don't fit on the roster for whatever reason, um, you know, you could be, uh, you could be moved the, the next day and, um, or, you know, wherever they, wherever they can find, uh, find a deal. Um, so yeah, I, I think you're, you, you learn to, to live, semi nomadically in this life. And, um, you know, you're, you're always on your toes. It's very dynamic. And so, um, I think it, I think it teaches, I think it teaches you a lot. You know, you don't, you don't really get into the, that type of, of lifestyle, um, in very many professions. Um, so yeah it's, it's like i said
0: very dynamic and we'll get into this in a second but yeah. one of the lifestyles that one of the professions that is this lifestyle uh y- your wife used to be in right and we'll, we'll talk about melissa in a sec but um the the second value that struck me that you were just talking about was your number is not defining you them mm. them being in the past mm-hmm. um and i, I guess there, there are two tracks here mm. one is you know, preparing and, and getting ready for the season, knowing that you're graded on a, on a daily basis by mm-hmm. looking at the box scores, what, what it's like to live a life like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then second, you know, being able to, to brush off an 0 for 4 day or, or making an error in the field and just how you learn, how you, how you take a, a mistake and use it as a learning experience mm-hmm. instead of a soul crushing one.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's a loaded, loaded <laughs> question, but. But, you know, I, I think you it's it's wise in, in baseball and, and probably in life to um, in in circumstances that, you know, to have a to have a short memory that a lot of people talk about that in in baseball where, you know, you 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 think about why you made the mistake, how you made the mistake. Um, then you compartmentalize that and you kind of build on it. And uh, I think that's, I think that's true with you know both fielding and hitting um, in, in my profession where you know let's say you, uh, guy strikes you out on a certain pitch or a certain sequence, um, then you know you can you can take that information and use it for your next at bat, and you know I think that. Um, as you get older in your career, I guess more um, experienced, you you know uh, you, you face the same um, guys over and over again, and uh, so I, I think it, it it allows you to um, that that ex- those experiences that you've had, the failures that you've had, prepare you for the moment, and so you know you you have to. You have to give them their, you know, due diligence, the mistakes, because that's the only way you you get better. It's the only way you um, you continue to grow as, as a player um, is to acknowledge them. You can't hide from them, but at the same time, you know, you use those to to um, better prepare yourself for the next situation.
0: And the the adage is that if you fail seven out of ten times in the majors, you, you go to Cooperstown. The yeah, hall exactly. Of fame and uh, yeah, and you know I make mistakes at work, but there aren't thirty five thousand people in the stands watching. It's me. a very public <laughs> life. I mean, every everything we do is public. I mean,
1: you, and especially with the um, emergence of sabermetrics, and um, you know, you can you can hide a lot in tra- traditional statistics. Um, You know, you can, batting average is very easy to point at, but you could have guys with very empty batting averages that, you know, they're hitting for a high average, but they aren't really doing a whole lot to help the team win. And you can have a guy with a low average who's doing a lot to help the team win. Um, So with these new, you know, advanced statistics, um, there's not a whole lot of hiding. Um, They have something at every ballpark now called the, I think it's called the Trackman, where you literally it's like a Doppler radar and that's where you get all the exit velocities. You get route efficiencies. Um, and so you, you can't hide from that. And it, it is, I mean, it's all seeing.
0: It's almost like you need a degree from Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> Not in political science though. <laughs> uh, we'll get to your road to Palo Alto in, in a second here too. But, uh, you, we talked about Billy Bean a little while ago. You were drafted by the Red Sox, correct? Were you drafted by Theo Epstein? Or yes. The, okay. So, I mean, you've worked. Four, two of, of the most successful, and and then throw in Jeff Lou from the Houston uh, Astros. Yeah. Uh, you've worked for three of the guys that mm. have seen. Uh, you know, uh, we'll see what well what Theo did in, in Boston alone. Sure, it, it will enshrine him in the Hall of Fame, and what he, what it looks like the Cubs are up to this year. Yeah. um, have you learned anything from from any of those guys? Uh, just being around the, those guys. That,
1: yeah, I mean, I. Uh, when I was when I was in Boston um, you know being a being a young guy um, you know it's not like I had a ton of interaction with Theo but you could just see the way that um, you know see the way that he went about his business um, and obviously very very professional knows the game um, and knows the numbers and um, just you know as you alluded to earlier what he's building in Chicago right now is um, he knows, he know. obviously he knows how to build a winner and, um, you know, there's, there, there's a lot of successes that have come, um, from Theo.
0: Yeah. Talking about success. Yeah. Right. You, you grew up in Salem, Oregon. I did. Yeah. Born uh, and raised. <laughs> and, uh, is, is that big baseball country? How, how, how did you, how did you find your way uh, onto the diamond? Uh,
1: no, it is not. Believe it or, believe it or <laughs> not, it, um, not not really a hotbed for baseball, considering um, you know the the summers are beautiful there. the The thing now, though, is that a lot of these a lot of kids are playing year round, and so I always I always found a way to practice, uh, even if the you know the weather was bad outside. We um, we actually I, I ended up taking private lessons um, from a uh, a guy who was in Woodburn at the time. And uh, he had an indoor cage. And so I'd I'd find ways to, you know, I would be inside, but I'd be, you know, practicing. And so I I, I practiced or played baseball pretty much year-round, but then played other sports as well. I played basketball all the way through my senior year of high school. um, Where did you go to
0: high school? uh, North Salem
1: High School, yeah. uh, The Vikings. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so... I made, you know, some of the, some of the best friends of my life on the basketball team. So I, you know, I had, I, I'm really happy that I, that I played all the way through my senior year. Cause I, I thought about, um, I thought about quitting basketball before my senior year to focus on baseball. I, I had already signed early to go to Stanford and, um, but I'm, I'm happy. I, I played it all the way through and had other, um, hobbies that were, um,
0: sport related. So. Stanford's a powerhouse in yeah. baseball. Yeah, um, and you, when you went there, there were four or five other big leaguers on, on the the roster. Right? At least, yeah, yeah. Sam yeah. Fold, Carlos Quentin. Yeah, uh, Sam Mayberry. Fold,
1: Carlos Quentin. And if you you know if you count um, you know just uh, guys that had a day of major league service, there's Danny Putnam, Chris Carter, Donnie Lucy. Um, uh, I'm trying to, there, I, I know I'm, I know I'm missing other, excuse me. Did I say Ryan Garko? Um, Ryan Garko was there my, my freshman year. Um, so yeah, there's, there's quite a few guys that ended up getting some major league time. How did they find you? So I, uh, I worked with a, uh, a, a speed and quickness, uh, coach. He actually is, I, I believe he's still the, um, uh, high school coach, um, down in a, at a school called West Albany. Um, it's been a while, but he's, he, um, he was brought in by Stanford to do their like warm-ups and speed and agility training and, um, evaluations. And I think part of, part of the deal of him going to do the camp was he got to bring, I think it was four of us. And I was one of the guys that he brought, um, with him down there and I, I just made a, a good enough impression, um, on the coaches and they, um, saw something in me and then I had the grades, which are obviously, you know, an important, important part. But, um, I certainly didn't go down there thinking that I was going to get the opportunity to go to Stanford. I, there were a lot of Ivy league schools there. I, I uh, garnered a lot of uh, attention from them. Um, Dartmouth being one, um, and probably the most prevalent. Um, Georgetown was also there, um, which I know is not an Ivy League, but a, a, a good school. They think they are. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, <laughs> I won't get into that. So, but yeah, so I, I went down there, made a, made a good impression and um, ended up getting in uh, and uh, got a partial scholarship, which most collegiate baseball players are on there are not very many full ride guys due to the um limitations on the on the scholarships that a team can have and um yeah
0: that's that's how i ended up at stanford yeah and baseball traditionally has been known as a real cerebral game and Mm. uh and you know, for all the LSUs and, and Florida States that uh, that are in the College World Series every sure. year in Alabama. Um you see the Vanderbilts and the Stanfords of the world too yeah. and it's yeah. it's um
1: You know, it it, it is because, uh, in the same, uh, like you, there's a lot of moving pieces in baseball. And I think that's why, um, the, I think the best analogy is, is a duck on the pond, right? like, you Uh look at it on the surface and it looks calm. Um, but underneath the water, there's a lot of motion. There's a lot of movement. So you can, it, it can be the, the simplest game, um, or it can be very complex and, um, you know, there's. There's also, you know, there, there's an adage with smart guys in baseball analysis paralysis. And so I've always, I've always prided myself in being smart enough to be stupid (laughs) um, because, you know, you just have to, you just have to, you know, you, 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 you take in all this um, data, you, you, you do all this work, but then when you're in the box and you're in the moment, you just clear it all and you just react.
0: Yeah, and that's one of the the beautiful parts of the game. Yeah, at Stanford you studied poli sci. Mm-hmm. Um, it, what attracted you to that major? And and were you always into international affairs and and looking overseas, or or had had that become an interest of yours?
1: Yeah, you know, I was um, in in high school. I, I finished uh, I finished calculus as a as a junior in high school. So I think I took some um, I can't even remember. It was like a college college class, uh, as a senior, but I didn't do much math my senior year. Um, and then when I got into, when I got to Stanford, I, I, I wanted to, um, be a little bit more well-rounded and, um, I guess work on writing a little bit more. And so Paul poli, uh, poli sci gave me that opportunity. Um, and then, you know, as I, as I kind of went through, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't decide on poli sci until my sophomore year, um, so I, I, as I, as I learned more about, you know, Stanford's, um, you know, road, different roads of, of study, um, I realized that they didn't have a, a business under, undergraduate degree. So I was, I've always, always interested in, in, um, in business and, and I still, you know, still love numbers. Um, but I think poli sci at the time seemed like the best way to,
0: um, make me well-rounded, which I take pride in. And. Uh, among your extracurricular activities at Stanford, you met a, a lovely young woman who I also did. shared a, a, a penchant for government and international affairs. Yeah. And, uh, and, and she ended up, and that's one of the ways you and I have met uh, was uh, through the, the foreign service. And, right. And she became a U.S. <clears throat> diplomat. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that colored your worldview at all being, being married to somebody that was posted abroad in the service of the country? Yeah, totally. I mean, she, uh, uh, somehow ended up in, in Toronto and Mexico city. <laughs>
1: <laughs> which, uh, which, you know, I mean, we'll call her a North American specialist. Um, but you know, she was, uh, y- y- you know, she was still, you know, worldwide available and, um... Yeah, you know, I I lived with her in off seasons in um both Toronto and Mexico City.
0: So you were a foreign service spouse. <laughs> I was.
1: I was, I was actually so I, I was uh we, we weren't married until she was in Mexico City, so I was I was just a boyfriend. I guess I guess we Mem- got we member got, of household. Yeah, member of household. Exactly. Member of household. Uh and then um We got we got engaged, which still just counts as member of household. So um, but then when she was in Mexico, we were uh, we were married at that point. So uh,
0: that that changed everything. (laughs) And you ended up uh, when the State Department really started to double down on diamond diplomacy yeah. baseball diamond diplomacy right uh, they were looking for people that uh that were good representatives of, of of not only the values of the game but the values of the united states and yeah. and I, I know for a fact that you instantly became one of the the most sought after folks to, to send out there and the department sent you to columbia
1: we did we took a trip to columbia
0: <laughs> and uh maybe you could talk a little bit about your time down there and and what uh anything that you enjoyed about it what what you felt you got out of the experience the Colombians got out of the experience.
1: Yeah. Uh yeah, no it was it was a, a great trip. We um we did Bogota um, Barranquilla and Cartagena and
0: um, in a real compressed time frame very too, yeah. very compressed yeah. yeah it
1: was it was one day uh, so we, we had a couple days um, where uh, my and I could just be tourists because uh, neither one of us had been so we got to explore um, Bogota for a couple days and she speaks
0: like superior Spanish <laughs> <laughs> that's what I hear uh, that's
1: that's what that I was gonna get into that that's one thing that you know I the one part of that that experience that you know I wish of my Spanish I wish my Spanish was better um but in bogota she actually translated for me which was pretty cool um but such a great experience um we you know we got to work with some you know really interesting folks down there um the head of little league um there was a, a, a a guy who I I don't remember his exact title with project baseball, project English, baseball and Spanish. Um, but, um, we've worked with him. Um, uh, we were actually planning a trip to, to Nicaragua to do work with him as well. And, and we've stayed in touch with him. Um, but just a really great experience. Um, I, I, the, the Bogota part just was fascinating to me because such a big city and Um, I want to, I don't remember the exact number, but I think it was fewer than five baseball fields for a population that's multi-million. So, um, you know, the game, I know the ambassador at the time uh, was very interested in in trying to spread the game um, in in Colombia even more. It's much more popular in Barranquilla and Cartagena on the coast, Um, but I think, uh, you, you know, was Bogota was awesome because, you know, you got to see, um, you know, kids from all over the city who, uh, hadn't, uh, you know, probably wouldn't have even had the opportunity to, to come play on the field that they did. Um, if, you know, this program, uh, didn't happen.
0: Right. And how many Americans do you think these kids have ever met in their life? Right. Yeah. I,
1: that's a good question. Yeah. Um, you know, so so getting the opportunity, they you know a lot of the they had a lot of their coaches there as well. So it was it was a great format. You know, we did some stuff on the field, but um, I, I think the the most interesting for me um, and and hopefully the most uh, informational and and interesting to them was the the hour or so we spent having a conversation. And then in um, in Bogota it went much longer. I, I think it was probably a couple hours uh, where you know the coaches and the players were asking questions and, and, you know, like I said, I, I wish my Spanish was better, but just being able to interact and hear, um, hear what their questions and, um, what they were interested in in the game, uh, just makes me realize how, um, international the game is and how
0: it's a universal language. And you've played, you've played with guys from all over the planet throughout your career. Yeah. We were just talking uh, before the mics went on that uh, the A's right now aren't necessarily the most international. But but coming up, certainly on the Astros and and the Red Sox, you played with a lot of international players. How do the dynamics inside the locker room work there? Uh, You know, are are you guys able to all come together because of... of the common game or are there any obstacles that you have to overcome?
1: Well, I, I, I mean, I think there are, you know, there are a few obstacles, um, language, language being one. I mean, there are, um, there are a few guys, uh, in the, in the game, Spanish speakers and, and, you know, even the, the Japanese, um, guys who, you know, their, their English isn't, uh, conversational. Mm. And so, for those circumstances it's a little harder but you know everybody's kind of got their cliches uh, you know like even, even the guys who don't speak English well and you know for the guys that don't speak Spanish well or, or Japanese well you have these little cliches and um, for the most part everybody you know it's mostly just like little jabs you know that's kind of the culture of, of baseball but you know it, it keeps it fun.
0: When you go out for a mound visit right, and the, the infielders all come in and, yeah. Yeah, did you play with Uehara or uh, never played with Uihara. Uh, I with Dice K. okay. So what would the manager or the, the pitching coach say when I think, I think both of those guys,
1: um, maybe, maybe the translator didn't go out. And a lot of that stuff is, you know, the, a lot of the conversations are cliches. It's, it's just to give like bull
0: Durham. Or, yeah. Oh right. God. Like they're just,
1: they're, they're, they're going out there to give the guy a break. You know, there's, you know, they're, they're not solving the world's problems. <laughs> I can promise you that. Um, <laughs> So it, it, it's really, you, you know, you're, you're given a guy, there's, there's, you know, multiple situations, but it's, it's usually about time, right? Like, let's, you know, take a deep breath, you know, let's, let's lower your heart rate, um, you know, get you back to where you need to be, or, you know, we need to get a guy ready in the bullpen, something, something like that. But um, like I said, you, you usually have a few cliches in, in the languages that you can throw around to have a good time
0: together. <laughs> Um, from uh, a fan's perspective, mm. uh, and it kills me to say this because I'm a Yankee fan, but <laughs> I, David Ortiz, I imagine, is an incredible leader uh, in in the clubhouse. And um, I, 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 you know, the shining example was at least what it appeared after the Boston Marathon bombings, mm. and how you know he was able to bring this, the the city together, and mm. they eventually won the World Series that mm. year i guess i'm struck by it doesn't matter that he grew up in a small town in the dr that Mm -hmm. he was able to come and just embrace the game and 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 you know rise to this level where he's on the mount rushmore boston athletes Uh, you know is is there anything that you have to say about playing with a guy like that
1: no i mean it was just a you know just privilege i guess is the is probably the best way to say it because um, the guy I know it's a, it's his last year but that, I mean that guy's going to be he'll, he'll be he'll be missed in a uniform I can I can guarantee you that he'll be back uh, in Boston a lot he's got such a following there and um, you know just a great ambassador of the game uh, does a lot to um, improve people's lives and um, you know he's such a big personality and he just interacts with everybody I mean I I, I haven't met anybody who, who didn't, you know, really enjoy their experience with him. And, and I think that I think that says a lot about, um, you know, the way that he interacts with the world and uh, he just uh, he, he's great ambassador for the game.
0: Yeah and that's a real nice dovetail there of sports <laughs> yeah. and diplomacy. Yeah. It's it's a great title and and it's a true title, right? If, if yeah. it, when you're an ambassador for the US, you're you're selling the our values abroad and when you're an ambassador for the game, you're you're sharing with the city and the local community uh, you, you know that it, it's a lot more than just, you know, 27 up 27 down out there. Yeah,
1: yeah, I mean I think um at, at the at the end of the day, you know, you you will be you will be judged, your career will be judged on the numbers that you put up. Um, but, you know, to soften those edges, you, you know, you have guys who, who are, they're, they're great personalities and they go out of their way um, to, you know, to use the platform that they have to make people, people's lives better. And uh, I think those are the ones that are, are, are always going to be remembered even more fondly.
0: Um, who's the, your Favorite teammate that
1: you played with? I mean, it would be hard to narrow it down to one. Um, uh, you know, David. David's great. I, I think. You know, if I had to, if I had to pick one guy, I mean, Dustin Pedroia yeah, is I, a guy. I was going to wonder about. That. Yeah, Dustin Pedroia is a guy that. Um, I, I mean, he's he's intense, huh? I mean, he's he's five foot nothing, um, and like I would probably pick him. Um, you know, if, if I had to pick, you know, a guy to compete with, like to have on my side, you just know that he's going to give everything that he's got and, um, I mean, he's also great, great leader, um, and he's like I said, he's he's one of the ultimate ultimate competitor, or, excuse me, ultimate competitors uh, in in my estimation. There's there's been a lot, but if if I had to
0: if I had to narrow it down, I would I would put him on top. Jumping around a little bit here, uh, I mentioned a little while ago you're a switch hitter. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? How how did you learn that skill, and yeah. how how long before you started breaking out in games? You know, is it something in little league high? school so i had mentioned uh the private lessons before
1: and uh, i it it was one of those um it was one of those facilities that had the coin operated um machines yeah exactly so i i think i had just finished a a private lesson and uh, got a couple coins to take a few more swings and my dad just you know off the cuff said hey why don't you you know turn around and try hitting left-handed yeah. and so yeah I thought it was fun okay why not you know and I took a few swings I was like okay well, I mean that that's kind of cool and then all of a sudden it just I don't know if it became an obsession but I it was a challenge and I think that's something that um, uh, you know as I as, as I get older I uh, that's something that I look for um, for myself I, I'm always looking for a challenge And, uh, I think that's, you know, one of the great things about baseball, um, in general is that we were talking about failure, right? So seven out of 10 times you fail, you're considered one of the best of all time. That just doesn't exist in the real world. So you almost have to embrace failure. And so that, that constant challenge, um, has something that has always drawn me to the game of baseball. So I, I started, you know, Taking lessons, you know, I, I didn't start taking that, but I started doing. Sw- I started doing switch hitting during those lessons, and I practiced for close, you know, probably two years before I did it, and I did it as a, a freshman in high school in the games for the first time.
0: What is your least
1: favorite play out in the field? Uh, defensively, defensively. Um, I don't know. That's that's a good question. You know, second base. There's. Uh, oh yeah, that's right. Because
0: I mean, do you have different? Opinions for each position. Or? Yeah,
1: I mean, like that's that that's one of the you know misnomers about the infield too is that every position is the same and every single one of them is different. Um, so if you have a guy who plays you know proficiently at all all three or four, uh, it's it's a valuable guy. And so you know i i couldn't I couldn't really tell you what the you know what my least favorite would be. Um, there, you know, there are plays that are going to be more challenging depending on your skill set. You know, the, the, the play, you know, from for me, like playing shortstop, you know, if there's a ball deep in the hole in between short and third, being able to plant and throw and get a lot on it. But I, I think that's, I think that's pretty true for any shortstop. So do you um, jump in the air like Derek? <laughs> <laughs> I never jumped. I always, I always kind of caught it and I was like leaning backwards, you know, and I threw it while I was leaning backwards or I'll get like a throw it and
0: spin at sure. the same time. So, um, what yeah. made me even think of that was that um, A-Rod notoriously hates pop-ups. And there were a couple of oh, okay. the game that I was like, oh, I should ask well, you. Well, pop,
1: pop-ups in the Coliseum in particular can be tough because of the wind. And a lot of you
0: have foul territory. For a lot of foul
1: territory, yeah. So you, you have to cover a lot of ground. And uh, the wind, uh, it, it seems like it, it swirls there. Um, generally, it, it blows in from right to left, mm-hmm. right field to left field. Um, but sometimes, you know, it'll, it'll switch. And so you, you, you have to, it's a lot different than catching a pop-up in Houston, let me say, where you have a dome (laughs) and it's a very controlled environment. 72 degrees. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) So catching pop-ups in Oakland is a little different than in Houston.
0: Did you meet President George H.W. Bush? I did. Yeah, that was really cool. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, Would he throw out a first
1: pitch or? He did. Yeah. So for the, I think it was game, uh, Four, three or four um, of the ALDS last year against the Royals he threw out the first pitch and uh, the the night before the PR guy came to me and said would you want to catch the first pitch tomorrow I said yeah who's throwing it um, and they <laughs> oh, no, no no big deal yeah, yeah well, don't worry about <laughs> it. originally um, it was going to be his wife and then I guess he woke up uh, that morning and decided that he wanted to do it. And so it was great. I mean, I got to got to interact, and um, you know, just caught caught the pitch, and um, and went out there and got to shake his hand and thanked him, and um, told him what an honor it was. And, uh, and then you know, Barbara was out there as well, and got to got to say hello to her and and thank her. And uh, I, I wanted to I wanted to ask for. Uh, an autograph, but I wasn't going to, but she told me, she said, you should have him sign that ball. (laughs) And, um, so I got, you know, he signed it, he signed it for me and, uh, it's now, um, in a display at my home, I had a a really nice piece with, um, a ticket from the game and a picture of me catching the ball and a picture of the three of us, um, on the infield there, um, with the ball signed.
0: What was, what was your hesitation to ask him to sign it?
1: Well, I mean, I I think probably health. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. You know, he was, uh, you know, he was in a wheelchair when he threw the ball out and,
0: um, so but it wasn't like a pride thing. Like you, you wouldn't n- ask.
1: No, 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 no. It was. It was. You know. I just. Uh, you, you know. I. I. And I mean, it's a president of the United States. I. You know. I. I. I've. I've interacted with. You know. Other. Uh, other. Um, you know. Foreign diplomats, and but you know it's the president of the United States, and so I, I guess I didn't know where the where the line was, and you know, so I, I, I deferred until you know
0: Barbara told me, hey, you should have him sign that for you. That's one of the coolest things. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, it was awesome. Do you keep memorabilia? Do you do you have? Yeah, I do. Other, like what? What else do you have around the house? uh
1: Well, right now that's that's really the only one up on the house. Um, but I've got some. I've got a ton of jerseys that I have framed and. Um, the house right now that we're in, there's, there's not a whole lot of space to put up jerseys. Uh, so one day, you know, when we, when we, um, when we have a, a bigger house, we'll, uh, we'll put up a lot of the frame jerseys. But I got some, I got some really cool ones. I've got some, um, uh, personalized, which, which to me is really cool. Um, we got a lot of Hall of Famers. We've got, um, Cal Ripken Jr. personalized one to me. Um, Ken Griffey Jr. personalized one to me, which that Ken Griffey Jr. is probably the one that, uh, is just because he was, oh, you know, one of my favorite players. Growing like, up in the Pacific Northwest. If, yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I, he was. He was my favorite player.
0: I don't need to hedge that one. Um, I and, should say it's very interesting that those are the first two guys that you mentioned. You have, in addition to being a MLB player pro ball player yeah. all three of you guys are u.s department of state sports envoys oh really yeah. there you go That's, perfect
1: yeah. um so yeah good good company right um but but those so those two um and then you know i've got uh, a few that i've just uh, bought from a uh, from a dealer. Um, uh, like I got a, a Sandy Koufax. Cool. That's, that's really cool. I got a Derek Jeter actually that's personalized. Um, uh, which was, which was pretty cool. Cause I played against him for, for quite some time. I hear
0: that guys and I'm biased. I, I have sure. pinstripe color glasses, but everybody <laughs> yeah. loved Jeter, Right. The- yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, I, I haven't, I haven't like a, like David, mm-hmm. I, I haven't met anybody who, who had a, um, who didn't enjoy, uh, their, you know, interactions with Derek,
0: it, just because of the way he carried himself, the way he played the game, was there, yeah. there anything that uh, that stood out? Yeah, just I, I think
1: the the way Five that rings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for for him to I mean, New York is is a fishbowl, particularly when you play for the Yankees. Um, I've never played there, but you know, from an outsider's perspective. Um, you know, I I would I would put Boston, you know, in the same league uh, sure, as far sure. as like fishbowl yep. is concerned when it comes to baseball. Um so I, I have a, a similar experience with my time in Boston, but just the way that he handled himself in the media, um, the and obviously the success. I mean that once again, like going back to how people are always going to judge your career, he's got Hall of Fame numbers, which, you know, If Derek Jeter doesn't have Hall of Fame numbers, you know, all the other stuff kind of falls by the wayside. But Derek Jeter has Hall of Fame numbers. He has World Series rings. He he did it all.
0: Yeah, and uh, it's interesting with Boston too. When when you guys are coming up through the farm system, yeah. you know you hear about the Ryan Calishes, the Jed Lowry's, the Trot Nixon's. The, even when you guys are in Pawtucket sure. and stuff like that, the, yeah. the media machine is very powerful there. Totally, and uh, yeah, yeah, and it's certainly in New York. I, I
1: got I got um, I got called up, and um, before I even. Excuse me, I drove up from Pawtucket, and before they even had made it official I went to buy a shirt and a guy asked me if we we're going to get the game in that day cuz <laughs> cuz it was it was supposed to rain so yeah they're they're they they they're well connected they they know what's going on in the organization for
0: sure um i guess the the last phase here of the conversation yeah. is uh one of the things i'm studying is is the interplay between sports and government yeah um this being an olympic year one of the the big things that we're facing going into the rio games uh, uh, is, is worldwide doping. Sure. Um, and, I mean, throughout your professional baseball career, going back to what, 2004, 2005, as a minor leaguer, right? 2005, yeah. I was drafted. Um, so, I guess you were... In that next generation, after the McGuire Sosa guy, guys, um, you know, with performance enhancing drugs, sh- should the U.S. government be involved? Is this something that baseball should handle internally? Is is you know? I, I presume that you're anti PEDs. <laughs> uh, maybe just share some of your thoughts about about baseball and and, and that issue. Yeah,
1: I mean, I, I think baseball has got you know an interesting relationship, um, particularly with the with the U.S. government, uh, just because the. The long-standing antitrust exemption. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's, I, I don't think it's, it's really my place to say, you know, if it's, you know, the government should get involved in in baseball's business. Um, but um, historically, baseball has been, you know, has has been given the leash to, you know, handle its own affairs. Um, so, I, I think that I think that baseball has done a really good job of implementing um, drug testing in a, in a, not only a timely manner, but also in a well thought out manner, um, where, you know, it, it's not, there aren't a whole lot of snap decisions made on that front. Some would probably say it, it didn't happen quick enough,
0: but, um, you know, there's the, I, th- I think they've done it in a, in a timely fashion. Uh, it, and if there were any delays, it's because it's not you know there there isn't uh, a baseball czar. It, the commissioner can't. It's a collectively bargained issue where the, yeah, the, the joint drug yeah, agreement yeah, is yeah, yeah and it, it needs to be something that involves the union. You are involved. Are you, are you the team rep for? I'm not the, the team president? rep of Oakland, but I am involved. Yeah. Like, um, it, just uh maybe you could talk a little bit about your thoughts on on the role of labor in baseball and uh and and why it's important that the players association exists and and the good that it brings the game
1: well yeah i mean i you you look at what the the previous generations of baseball players have have done to shape the game and um you know to to make sure that uh that that Guys are compensated fairly for uh, the work that they put in. Uh, you know, I have uh, a lot to be thankful for for those guys um, who you know who went on strike and you know lost days of service and pay. Uh, and, and I think baseball has always had a um, a great perspective. The union has a great perspective on um, you know teaching the next generation about. You know what those guys did, and why you know uh, the minimum salary is what it is, and why it continues to go this way, and you know why you need to take care of of the guys who um, sacrificed to make
0: sure that you're, you know, make sure that you are in the position that you're in now. And it's interesting. I'm hearing when you're talking the the word mentorship Mm. where it's, it's not just about jet. It's about the the guys that are coming up that are having their major league debuts and, and yeah, I mean, yeah,
1: that's, that's the, you know, that, that's the, that's the way that, you know, this game, uh, that's the way that this game has always been, you know, there's, um you know you you have to you have to you, you have to ha it, it would be hard for a major league team to be successful with nothing but rookies you always have to have at least you know some veteran presence that can that can you know calm nerves or to you know help guys through situations and i think that um rings true with um with bargaining and um uh, just just knowing um kind of how bargaining has evolved and um to like i said just to be um aware of where it's
0: been and uh so you know where it should go baseball in the 21st century hmm. right uh today the, the game we were at today it was pretty swift it was like two and a half hours yeah. um uh you, some of those red sox yankee games would go like four hours 15 minutes <laughs> it, is it you know speeding up the game or, or, or do you think that's important is that something that that the majors should focus on to keep it in in a twitter society keep it relevant or, or how, how can the game reach this next generation
1: yeah no i i think i think it is important um it's gonna be a it's gonna be a balancing act, um, to to say the least, because the the one beautiful thing about baseball is that there isn't a, a clock, and so. Um, you know, you, you want, and I, I guess now technically there is a clock in between innings. um, But I I think that just keeps, I I think that keeps everybody a little bit more on schedule. You know, there's not a, there's not a pitch clock, which they've um, played around with in the minor leagues and uh, in the Arizona fall league. um, But still at the major league level, there's no, there's no clock, which, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I think that, I think that's important, but at the same time, it, you know, you don't, you don't want dead time. Um, you don't want a bunch of, uh, you know, the, the theatrics are great, but, uh, the action of the game I think is, is, um, uh, is exciting enough without a ton of theatrics. So if you, uh, I, I think, I think the big thing will be, um, you know, just trying to force uh more action right so i you know walks and strikeouts have become more and more prevalent so i i think you know people people like to see action so sometimes you know i i get it sometimes walks and strikeouts can be a, a little boring so
0: um now as a middle infielder and mm. one of the the rules i so there was a new rule about takeout slides it's se- correct at, at second base yeah. um that, how do you feel about that being well, a middle I'm,
1: infielder I, yeah i'm a big advocate i was um I was a part of the the committee that helped uh you know draft our proposal from the union's perspective and I, I think just like the the home plate collision rules that sure. have um y- you know I think it's I think it's made the game better um I think they're it's it's evolved um you know from the first iteration of it but I think I, I think the the rules that are in place for for the new slide rules are great because it doesn't um it doesn't force guys to be less aggressive. It just, um, it, the, the idea behind it is that it will, um, limit the amount of slides that would potentially be, you know, injury causing. Um, and and I think the, you know, with some of the, with some of the leeway that was given with these slides, I mean, I've been, I've had plays where, you know, a runner, has like zero intention of, of touching the base sliding 10 feet wide of the base and, you know, sliding 10 feet past the base. And that just doesn't seem like a baseball play to me um, where, you know, you have no intention of touching the base. Like one of the, one of the, one of the simplest rules, one of the first rules you teach your kid when they're learning how to play the game is touch the base. Yeah. Um, and you start at first and you go to second. So to, uh I, the the how far away we got from you know guys having to touch the base or you know trying to touch the base uh, I, I think it I think it steers us back into the right uh, the right direction.
0: So from from the written rules which we just talked about to the, to the unwritten rules sure. do you sign off on Bryce Harper's campaign to make baseball fun again do you, do you <laughs> think it's okay for bat flips after big home runs or it, it, wh- where do you draw that line I mean you, you're a veteran Jed what, yeah. what uh, how do you uh, set the example for these young guys coming up Yeah I mean I think it's uh I think it's all about the
1: I think it's all about the situation, right? And I think a lot of it boils down to respect. And um, I, I think guys' egos get hurt when they feel disrespected because um, you know everybody talks about bat flips, but nobody talks about pitchers, you know, uppercutting or, or clapping when they get a big strikeout, right? So if you have a if if you have a you know a big moment and um, you show some excitement, whether you're on the you know pitching side or the hitting side um I, I i don't i don't have a i don't have a, a big problem with it i just think that it um y- you know there there has to be some discretion shown with the situation
0: um and then the last thing i want to get you out on here is uh glowing growing the game globally sure um, baseball is very popular in in, in, it's a national pastime not just in the states we saw it in cuba this Mm. year the president went down and sat with raul castro at a a tampa bay cuban national team game Mm -hmm. baseball is very strong in the caribbean it's very strong in japan and korea uh, taipei um but how can we grow the game in africa how can we grow it in india how how can we grow it even further down in south america
1: yeah I, i mean i think uh the simplest way would be exposure, um, and then uh, ex- accessibility to equipment. I think that's probably the, uh, one of the bigger hurdles with baseball is that it, it does take, um, a lot of uh, equipment, you know, you're to field a, to field a team, you know, you're going to need nine gloves. You're going to need at least one ball, at least one bat. Um, you know, and if, uh, Hopefully, all, all the kids out there are wearing helmets, you know, as well when they're hitting. So um, it does, it takes, it takes a lot of equipment to, to play the game if you're talking about developing nations. Um, so I, I think, uh, like I said, exposure being one and, and accessibility to equipment.
0: Uh, they, that's all I have. Yeah. Anything you want to plug? Or- <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean I,
1: the the project baseball people that we've worked with, they they've been great. Um, they they were on the ground well before um we got our uh you know we we got to work with them, but um that's what they do. They provide equipment and um, access for kids. They do a lot of the work in Nicaragua and Colombia. Um, But, you know, we've we've been fortunate enough to to work with them and and to help, um, you know, donate some equipment uh, with, you know, one of my one of my sponsors uh, or one of my um, equipment sponsorships is through Easton. And so we've uh, we've donated a lot of equipment um, through Easton. And and then there was also a program that that the union does uh, through, I believe it was um, Cal Ripken Baseball. Um, and, uh, so we sent a lot of equipment through them as well.
0: Oh, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. And would you go out again if the state department, uh, for sure. For sure.
1: Yeah. And I, I think that, um, you know, the, that diamond, diamond diplomacy, um, was, was as my Lessa, my wife put it, was probably the, you know, it's the melding of our two worlds. And, uh, we both have a, both have a keen interest in, in, um, you know, international relations, and if it involves baseball, even better. Hey, thank you very much yeah, for your thank time. Thank you, Morgan.
0: Right. For Jed Lowry, I'm Morgan O'Brien, and thank you for listening to the Diplo Sport podcast. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Diplosport. Sport. And if you also have a chance, please go on iTunes and leave us a review if you have a moment and some feedback. We always welcome positive feedback on the podcast, which will help us continue to get great guests like Jed Lowry.